Well, good evening. It is so good to have you with us. And wow, thank you so much for the incredible feedback that, uh, that we've been receiving uh, with these uh, meetings that we've been doing with uh, Apostle Mike Connell. And uh, as many of you know, Mike, uh, Pastor Mike has been a friend of mine for probably um, easily 40 years. And uh, we've had many, many conferences together and uh, just uh, seen some, some great moves of God. And, and, of course, what's been so delightful is to have him share with us um, about the kingdom of God. And uh, the, the feedback's been amazing, Pastor Mike. I've, um, I, I've had people say to me, oh, look, we, we're watching these two or three times over because just to absorb all the revelation and understanding. So, Mike, why don't you just bring greetings to everybody before yeah. we get into it? Hey, well, welcome, everyone. So good to have you join with us and great to hear that uh, everyone's sharing these messages because there has been a download of a lot of revelation. There's a lot of things uh, that we've carried for years and things I've been studying, looking in this last season of time. I'm just delighted you can be here, join with us and share it. I love being with Pastor Brent. I find when we get together, there's kind of a bit of a dynamic gets going that's been uh, because of the friendship over many years. And we, we, you can see we enjoy it and we enjoy talking with one another and we just enjoy the kingdom. We love talking about things of the kingdom. So enjoy tonight's session, whatever it's going to cover. It's going to be great, I know. Yeah, you know, Mike, one of the things is that when people invite you overseas, they think that you want to do big meetings. And I don't like doing really big crusades. I like, to, I like this where we're yeah, just yeah. talking to each other, well, we're sharing truth, and, yeah. and the Lord moves, you know. And so, so this, is, this is a world I love more than anything else, and I'm so grateful <laughs> that you have given us your time to do this. So I just want to get straight into it. And, and one of the things that you said last Sunday, which I wanted to just um, have a few minutes for you to examine, you said the life of faith is a life of altars, the life of faith is a life of altars. And I'm wondering, Mike, if you could just expand what did you mean by that? Sure, sure. Well, um, if you look at altars in the Bible, of course, altars uh, were a physical place. Often people constructed them, simple things, but they were always a place of sacrifice where something was laid down and they were places of encounter with God. So when you think of an altar, uh, you think then it's a place where something is laid down and there's an encounter with God. So altars are a place of exchange, which is how the kingdom works. Kingdom works on, on exchange. So we try to hold on to everything rather than letting it go in exchange for the greater things that God will give us. And so um, we look through the Old Testament. We see Abraham, the father of faith. Of course, his life is a, a life of altars and tents. Mm. He shifted his tent. He was constantly moving, led by the Spirit, and he's constantly building altars which are a place of encounter with God, renewing covenant with God, or letting something go, or celebrating what God has done. So you find that pattern all the way through the Bible, that when God wanted to meet with people, he met with them on altars. So God told Moses to construct an altar uh, as a part of the dwelling place on the earth, and then God pours fire out from heaven. So when you look at how many times fire came down from heaven in the Bible, it was on an altar. Mm. It, was, it was on Moses' altar. It was on David's altar. It was on Solomon's altar. Uh, we find it was on Elijah's altar. altar uh, uh, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, which was broken down. So today, of course, the altar is actually our heart. We are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. So the altar really is the, the, the meeting place with God is a meeting of my heart. But actually the sacrifice 
is the surrender of self. So it's an act of worship. Whatever I surrender to him is now becoming my offering to him. Mm. And often that's costly. Poor Jesus put it like this. He said, if you want to follow me, deny self, take up cross and follow me. So mm. that's what it means to be a disciple. So there's some, some of our offerings are very costly. Some of our offerings and our places of surrender are very costly. But God who sees in secret then produces endorsement of anointings and fire openly. So many people want to have the, uh, the fire of God, but they don't want to build the altar that God would come to. So God gave man responsibility to build altars, places of engagement with him, places of connection with him. His, his part was to bring fire if the offering brought him pleasure. So even you think about the, the, the te- uh, in uh, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Pentecost, uh, they had a 10-day prayer meeting. So what was going on in 10 days? This is people coming together, laying down their personal agenda, uh, coming in prayer, coming and study the word, waiting on God, and at the right time, at God's timing. It's not always when we want it, but it's at God's timing. He responded with fire. So we build the altar, and in his timing, he responds with fire, which can bring a burning away of things in our life. It can be a revelation of things that need change. It can be a revelation of our ministry. I've always found it's out of these encounters with God where I've surrendered something, that's when the changes come. Mm. So even, even this time of, uh, of, of um, shutdown, I, I see it not as a shutdown, I see it as a reset. So yeah. part of my reset is I've been traveling just to give you an example, I've been traveling and ministering, say, eight, nine months of the year for the last three years. So for me, I just came and the Lord spoke to me in February. This is cancelled your year. It's not going to happen. Uh, you, you, won't be doing, you won't be going anywhere till next year. So he, he, I just felt in order to stop being uh, agitated by the frustration of being locked down and to pr- position myself right, I just laid down all traveling ministry for good, just Mm. built an altar in my heart to surrender something I was enjoying and was a blessing to engage God afresh and come into something different. Now, maybe maybe it'll raise up again, but it'll be different. It'll never be the same again because when you lay it down, something dies. It costs you something because you're letting it go. You're letting go your rights. That's an altar. You're letting go forgiveness. That's an altar. There are lots of, it can be in very simple ways. Just yielding to come and serve when you don't feel like doing it, that's an altar. It's just lots of little things, but it's the, the life of faith is the life really of surrender, to be led by the Holy Spirit. And every time you surrender something, then this is an altar you're building and we're, and we're looking for the fire of God to come on it. Well, this is a little bit like Romans 12, where he speaks about present your body as a living sacrifice, which is wholly acceptable under the Lord, which yeah. is your reasonable service. Um, and, and so really, really, he's saying there, is he not, that's, that your whole life has got to be a life of sacrifice, lie, laying yeah. your life down, yeah. having an altar. Yeah, it's a life, that's why I call it, it's the life of faith, there's a life of altars. Yes. And it, it's a daily altar. And then there's sometimes specific ones we have to build. And if people have neglected their prayer life, then like Elijah, he came and he rebuilt or repaired the altar of the Lord and then put water on it to make it impossible and then fire, God answered with fire from heaven. Well, let's, let's put this into a New, New Testament term. Um, does not the Bible say that he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire? fire. <laughs> so let's talk about what that, what that then looks like, Mike. Fire. Yeah. 
you know, we all love to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very rarely about and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah. Well, you know, because you find uh, when God gave the law at Pentecost, like the first Pentecost was really on the Mount Sinai. Mm. And what happened on Mount Sinai was God gave his law. Yep. And so his, his appearance was in fire, but to bring the law, the principles by which we could live in the kingdom and establish the kingdom on earth. And the problem was the people, when they saw the fire, withdrew and said, we don't want to get near to God and hear his voice lest we be consumed. Yep. So you go up and you do it. And now you have that very same thing repeated today. God wants to bring encounter with fire. The fire really is to uh, apply the law of God and bring judgment to the things that are out of order so our lives can be purified. He's the ref he's, he says he is a refiner's fire. So he sits as a refiner, brings his fire into our life mm -hmm. that shifts and changes and transforms us. That's how your, your, your character grows. That's how things change. But many people today don't want the fire. They want the blessing. <laughs> they want the benefits. Uh, please lay hands on me, want anointing. But what about those that will stand up and say, God, send your fire. Send your fire, consume anything in me that's displeasing to you. Well, well the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Yes. So the very nature of God is a consuming fire to consume the the, the rubbish that's that's yeah. in our lives, um, you know. But it's not a it's not a often preached now. <laughs> no, it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not pleasant because it's all about pain and change and yes. surrender and sacrifice. Absolutely. Well, it's it, I I like to look at it, view it as um. You know, the kingdom system works off trading, trading floors. So a trade is you exchange. You let something go. There's a cost. Yep. But then you receive something in exchange. What a brilliant way. So a lot. So if you think of your altar, if you just look at the cost, you, you'll always struggle with altars. But if you look at it as a place of exchange with God, of trading, that what I'm surrendering is very little in compared to the blessing that will flow back to me. And so, you know, it's like, you know, it says, it's kind of those, those who are thirsty come to me and buy of me. So mm. there's always a price to obtain the things of God, and, and we call that trading. So he, he spoke the same thing in the book of Revelations, you know, about the church, you know. You, 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 you say you have no need, but actually you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. You need to buy of me. Hmm. Gold refined in the fire. In other words, we, there's the place, the source is Jesus, but there's a cost to actually obtaining the things of the spirit. And the cost is the surrender of the self-life, the engaging in the life of the spirit. There's this, that's, where the fire, that's where the cost is, and that brings the fire. Well, the problem is, you see, um, it's a, it's a, to use a, what um, Dr. Ed Delft said, both and or either or. Now, a lot of people <laughs> have taken a either or approach. It's yes. either the grace of God and no law, so therefore, personal responsibility and actually altars and so on, all that's ignored. But actually, it's, it, that's not the way it is. No, it's both it's and. Both, yeah. It's both and. It's both grace and it's the fact that you've got to, got to deal with your heart on, yes. on a lot of these issues. And Absolutely. Yeah, we're told to work out our salvation. There's, a, there's an applying ourselves, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I want to come down to one of the, one of the questions a bit later on. That I was going to ask, but I'm going to do it right now um, because I, I listened to a, um, a message by Dr. Anita Phillips 
Um, and, you know, just to preface this, because this is very relevant to what you're saying, that, you know, um, much teaching, Christian teaching is about me, receiving blessing, grace, and favor. But yeah. you see, I listened to, to Dr. Anita Phillips, and she was speaking at um, Bishop T.D. Jakes, and, and the actual message will be coming across your screen um, for those who'd like to listen to it. And, but she's a nationally recognized therapist, life coach, and a person leading in the mental health realm where she linked faith and mental well-being. And the thing that I loved so much was her summary, and I'm going to quote it, and then I'd like you to comment on it. And this is what, she, what, what um, Bishop T.D. Jakes said from her message. Often we shield God from our pain because we fear vulnerability. Wow. But the truth is God called us to have a community, be product, productive, and establish a legacy. There are only three things that can undermine our natural and spiritual wellness as we pursue God's calling. Sadness, anger, and fear. No matter what we, no, uh, no matter what we must not let those feelings distort our perspectives. It's time for a change. The formula for overcoming our pain and stabilizing our mental health is the Word of God, prayer, and the strategy of therapy. I mean, it's just brilliant. <laughs> Let's continue in expectation of our double portion with a heart of good ground. I mean... <laughs> I like that. That's a brilliant statement. <laughs> and she, see, she preached it from, you know, the, the parable of the sower and the seed and the different soils, and she yeah. related the different soils to different heart conditions of anger and fear yeah. and, and, yeah. and you know, that sort of stuff. And we've all felt that in pastoring. <laughs> <laughs> So it applies to everyone. <laughs> it does, Anger it does. and fear and sadness, they're part of the journey, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing that I, that I loved about it, though, because here you've got a nationally recognised therapist. She's got doctorates and everything imaginable. But, but the issue is, she says it really comes down to the word of God, prayer, and some therapy. In other words, you got to start a journey where you take some responsibility for your life yes. for change. And, and it's all, some of these things are not going to be quick prayer. And then we get some help and some, as she calls it therapy in order to be able to um, learn how to handle some of these. I mean, quite brilliant really, Mike. Yes. He was. Well, there's a, there's a scripture that goes in, uh, in Psalm 84, verse 5 and 6, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage or embraces God's process. Oh, amazing. Wow. Who passes through the valley of tears and makes it into a well. That person goes from strength to strength, having fresh encounters with God. So clearly there's a, a leaning into God, you know, the strength is in the Lord and that's the ability to prevail instead of trying to control it, manage it or, or avoid it or, 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 or take something to feel better. Uh, it's actually leaning into God for his strength through prayer and surrender and embracing, like his heart set on pilgrimage, which in our language means the heart is willing to embrace that there's a process to deal with issues in your life. Yes. It's not a quick fix. It's not sudden, you know, just counseling. Counseling is to, is to help you connect with really 
the things you don't see to help them bring the light so you can then make better decisions and, and choices. So that person passes through the valley of tears. So the valley of weeping is an experience everyone has. We have experiences. Sometimes we bought them on ourselves with bad decisions. Sometimes uh, they were bought uh, on us from the bad decisions of others. And sometimes it's just part of life that bad stuff happens. But yeah. the valley of tears is one of many valleys in the Bible that every person will encounter and you can either get stuck there and become dysfunctional and distorted and then it overflows to your relationship or you can process, embrace God's journey and his way of dealing with stuff and then you make it a well. You make it a well. So your, your decisions and choices with the pains and anger and fears and things, your choices decide whether at the end this is going to be a well or whether you're going to stuck there and there's still tears and anger in your heart. Then you move from strength to strength. So I love that. It's, it's very much process and power. You need both. Wow, amazing. Yeah, the, the amazing thing, Mike, about um, uh, when she preached this at T.D. Jakes' church, and I don't know whether there was 10,000 people there or whatever, but, I mean, it's a huge building, and there was probably, there was probably five to 10,000 people there. And then she had an altar call um, after preaching for an hour, and I would say two-thirds of the congregation came down to that altar call. Of course, because mostly people don't preach on the heart and the necessity of acknowledging and addressing the issues of pain. They mm. preach performance stuff. Yeah. If you just yeah. do this, do this, do this, do this. But they don't address the issue of the being, what's going on, how well are you, and where are you? You know, yeah. God's encounter with Adam, his first question is not to tell him what to do. He yeah. asked the question, where are you? Yeah, yeah. And so in her preaching, she's helped people see where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the second question he asked was, well, who have you been listening to? Who told you you're naked? In other words, what voices are influencing the, wh why you're hiding? Yeah. And, okay. and, and, of course, that's the second thing. So in, in her message, she's made them, one, they've had to face where they are, and secondly, they've become aware there's certain things they've been listening to instead of, instead of the Word of God and the voice of God. And so, of course, well, the next thing God asks is, well, did you eat the fruit of the tree, which is a responsibility question. Will you front up and take ownership of your choices and do something about it? Bring them to me. Of course, Adam just blames God and then blames his wife, and then God stops talking with him. He's got, you're going to have consequences. It's so powerful, that stuff. Well, you know... Why is there not more of this, Brent? Why, why are churches avoiding doing this? Oh, well, I'm not going to answer that. I, I could answer it, but I will not dare answer it. Um, but you may you know, use the following. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was last week that you mentioned an author by the name of Mark Dejesus. Yes. Uh, and uh, I actually downloaded one of his recent books about the heart. And oh, I've got um, Audible. Uh, so I started listening to it. And here's this expert written all these books about inner healing and, yeah. and so on. But, you know, what was, he, what was the bottom line? And, I mean, I've only listened to about an hour or so of, of the book, the seven hours of his, of his reading the book. But, I mean, the basic thing, he's saying exactly what you and I have said. And, and he was saying, I was a, a builder. And he said, you had to have the foundations right. And he talked about having cracked foundations. And he was right. saying... The, the cracked foundation in so many people's lives is they haven't addressed the heart issues. Yes. Ultimately, the house is, can, is not going to stand if they don't, I mean, I'm just using my words. Right. If yeah. you don't go and, and examine the heart, 
take responsibility for the state of your heart, deal with the cracks in it, which means you've got to go beyond just looking at symptoms and to what is the cause of those symptoms. Yes. And it's, it's very blunt. He, he's talking about everything from what's in your marriage to pornography to alcohol to depression to, you know, he names it all out there. And he says those things are symptoms of something that is that is dysfunctional, using my words, but, but what is he essentially saying? Dysfunctional in your heart. You've got to ask God to reveal the root cause. Absolutely. Causing these things. And don't just be trying to deal with the fruits. Absolutely. So did you come up on his altar call? <laughs> oh, no, he's come up to chapter three now. <laughs> <laughs> Turned it off and had a coffee. Oh, <laughs> no, well, actually, listen, all that sort of stuff, you feel as though you need 10 coffees. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, what you're saying is exactly what we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, out of the heart are the, the borders and, ter- of, and the boundaries of your life. So unless the heart is, is directed towards the Lord and open up for healing, then people just manage their lives and manage their dysfunction. Which is hopeless. It, it is. It's not I mean, transformation. No. It's no. actually management. It's control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you see, see that's, that's been the problem that I've got with, with, with a lot of counselling, that that they, they tell you how to deal with your anger or they tell you how to deal with your depression or whatever. But actually, you've got to get to the root cause. And yeah, in the of course, moment, unless you get to the root cause, which is in your spirit and the trauma in your spirit and a broken spirit, who can bear a crushed spirit? Yeah, I'm yeah. A broken spirit dries up the bones. A crushed spirit, who can bear? Well, unless, unless something happens in your spirit, in the depth of your heart and of, your, yes. of who you are, you're, all you are going to do is just deal with symptoms. And so, Absolutely. you know, the, the thing that, that I feel, and, and, you know, Mike, as you and I have talked and I've done stuff on the Tuesday nights and so on, it, it almost feels to me like the Holy Spirit is saying you, have, you guys have got to start getting down to the root issues in people's hearts. You've got to stop playing with the symptoms and address root issues. And, and, you know, I'm going to do a pastor's gathering soon, and I'm going to actually say that to pastors. You've got to stop looking at symptoms, and you've got to start equipping people to go to the root cause. That's why I, went, I think it was two weeks ago you gave, um, I think it was about a four steps or something, about how a person can initiate healing. And I, in a healing, and I thought it was one of the most brilliant, brilliant, 10 or 15 minutes of teaching on the heart that I've ever heard. It was absolutely brilliant. You, you know, and you talked about writing, you know, journaling and all yeah, that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But, Mike, I, 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 I want to get moving on, on something because um, it's, it's actually related to the kingdom of God, uh, but it's, it's an issue that is, I think, very got a lot of issues to it, and which is the whole issue of sons. Now, you... Many times over the last few weeks, when you have talked to us about the kingdom of God, you have talked about this issue of us being sons, and that's a generic word, sons and daughters. Yes, daughters, yeah. Now, I, so I, I want to start at a, at a very basic foundation, and if we get time, we'll go, we'll go deeper into it. But what does being a son of God or a daughter of God mean to you? You know, sons to inherit the Father's business and resources, have to demonstrate their faithfulness to gain those entrustments from their Father. And obviously the same applies to us as sons and daughters of God. 
And, I, and I'd like you to speak to that um, from just a biblical point of view for a few minutes, what it means to you, what is our responsibility as sons and daughters of God, what is, what is the, the accountability that God holds us to? Well, <clears throat> that's quite a range of questions. Okay, let me give it a go. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're taught that we're born from above, born into the kingdom of God. Now, there's come a new creation. And then, then everyone's silent about sonship. Hmm. There's very little spoken about sonship. Gosh. Ah. It's like the very thing that's happened to me is I've become something. I've become what? I've become a child of God, a son of God or a daughter of God, a child of God. So, we, so just use that. So I've become a child of God. Now what? So that means what are my responsibilities as a child? What is my father's responsibilities towards me? And how do I engage him as a child that oh. grows up into my father and into his purpose? Hmm. So in, in our Western culture, our way of thinking is, you know, the father has a child, and they grow up, and often the father's absent, there's no engagement or whatever. So you've got, a, 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 you got most people who are just orphaned in their heart, if not uh, physically. Uh, but, but God's plan is, is very simple. He's in love with his son, Jesus Christ. His desire is to have a, a, fam, a, a kingdom of overcoming sons. That was his original eternal purpose. And what happens is we, we muck around on the edges all the time with the small stuff, and we don't go back, what did God want to do or accomplish at the beginning? Because he hasn't changed his purpose because there was a fall incorporated into the, the, the anticipating fall, incorporated in that Jesus, his son, would come and represent him and make a way for many sons to come up into their inheritance, which was the original plan. So the fall temporarily interrupted the purpose. Then God made provision by sending his son that he would put his son on display, prophesying all through the Old Testament of the coming son. And you see glimpses of it. You know, Adam, Luke 3, last verse 38, he's the son of God, meant to produce a family in the image of his father, but instead because of sin, produced a different family, family in the flesh. And then you see God giving glimpses in the Old Testament, not just about a son, but also about a corporate son. He called Israel my son. Mm. So, so you, you get glimpses through the Old Testament that God, being a father, is now wanting to have sons in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So he starts off with the original son, Adam. When Adam failed, he just put in motion the plan by prophesying it and then eventually bringing it about that God would bring forth his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, who would then show us and model for us what sonship looks like. Yep. That's why he's the pattern. That's why our eyes have to be fixed on him. You get fixed on a pastor, on a leader, or a movement, or anything like that. You've got your eyes off the big focus. Big focus should be on Jesus. Colossians 1, I think, verse 18, it says God's plan is to make him preeminent in everything. Not the apostles, not the prophets, not the this or the that or the mighty men. Jesus is to be preeminent because he expressly reflects what God is like as a father. So you want to see the father. You have to look at Jesus. How did he relate to people? How did he manage problems? How did he, what kind of life did he live? And he reveals fully exactly what the father is like, both through his life, his miracles, his teaching. So I think, you got, I think it pays us to have another re-look at the, the Gospels again, at the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and look for the revelation of the Father in there. Mm. So 
So what I need is a revelation of what it means to have God as my father and what is my responsibility. My responsibility as a son is to honor my father. Now, in the, in the Western culture, sons go out and leave their home. But in the Bible culture, the Hebrew culture, God's culture, the, the son was the extended the father's life, extended and represented the father, and then occupied himself with expanding the father's business. That's what sonship looks like. Mm. Knowing the father, extending the father's kingdom, and fully representing what the father is like. So to me, sonship involves all three things. Intimacy, honoring my father and getting to know him. And everything I do is about honor to him. And, ref and then secondly, it's about reflecting him. So to reflect him, I've got to let him help, uh, transform me. I've got to submit to his discipline and process of growing, maturing, being healed, being yep. Christ being formed in me. And then it's also about assignment, being faithful to the assignment that God gave me, regardless of how big or how small it is. Mm. And all those three factors make up sonship and make it all work together. Mm. Mm. So if once you see that, you realize I have to function in all three areas. I must deepen in an ongoing way intimacy through worship, the word, surrender, all the things, study, coming to know what God is like. So like, for example, I found that very few people know that uh, they know the scriptures I've shared, but how many know the scripture where God steps down from heaven and says, this is who I am and what I'm like? There's one. <laughs> you want to know what God's like? Well, then, you know, Moses had an encounter with him in Exodus 34, verse 6. He said, show me your glory. He said, look, I tell you what, uh, what I'll do, because you've already seen all the miracles, seen the glory, seen all the stuff. And then he says, God, I still want to know you. I'm hungry for you. Come and show yourself to me. I want to know what you like. He said, I will come and come down from heaven and I will I will declare my name. In other words, I will make known to you verbally what I am like. Now, the statement he makes as he does that bears a study of its own. Every word of it is, is full of meaning. And what he states about himself, Jesus come and he's the word made flesh. He reveals it by living it. Hmm. So God declares it to Moses. This is what I'm like. And then Jesus says, hey, watch me. See how it works out in action. So, you know, he makes the statement, the Lord, the Lord God. So the Lord, the Lord, meaning the eternal, uh, self-existing, unchanging, uh, one who lives beyond, doesn't need any resource. He's, he is the source, the almighty God. The, the Lord, the Lord God is the, the all-powerful one above every other God. And then having said how, much, how great he is and unchanging he is and eternal he is and beyond comprehension is. Then he begins to talk about how he relates to people. He says, I, I'm merciful, full of compassion. Well, what, it, the, gracious, which means it refers in the Hebrew culture to the person of wealth stepping down and coming alongside a person who is uh, impoverished and in need of help and investing in them and giving them a lift up, which is what the real meaning of grace is. <laughs> a man in the Hebrew in the Hebrew culture who who stepped down from his high position and helped an ordinary person to get up and get going and get ahead, uh, he became their patron. But he was also called a grace man. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't get me started on all of this. And of course, grace is required from the person who received the grace. They needed to respond with honor. So here you see it. So gracious, God is gracious. That's another story for another day. Uh, but God is gracious. See, so merciful, gracious, long-suffering means, I mean, literally takes, 
you can't get him angry. You can't wind him up with your foolish behaviours or things you do wrong. <laughs> he remains long-suffering and patient, long-suffering that all may repent. Wow. Putting up with injustice and abuse and all kinds of things because it's hard is to see people restored. It's like love is patient. Love is kind. You know what they're saying? Abounding in goodness and mercy, uh, goodness and truth. So that word goodness is loving kindness. That God is overflowing with loving kindness, but he backs it up with truth. He says what it is. Keeping mercy for thousands. Meaning, it means he's a generational God, and that word mercy is loving kindness. Abounds in loving kindness from generation to generation. But then the last one's interesting. He said, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And then here it is. He said, and he said, uh, he talks then about the generational aspect, but not clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation. So you notice then, almost all of it is about his greatness, then his amazing kindness to people, and then the fact he's a just God too, that if we won't repent, then he doesn't overlook the stuff, he calls everyone into account. So when you get that balanced vision or perspective of God, then that's someone you can relate to. So Jesus came to show what the son is like. Now, as we become, we're born and we become children. So God puts his spirit into our heart and the Holy Ghost is the mentor. Now, this brings us to sonship. In the, in the Hebrew culture, the child had to be under a mentor until he got to the stage or age of maturity, which is somewhere around about 30. Mm. And then he would be adopted. So, so we hear the word adoption, the adoption, and all that. We say, oh, we've been adopted in the family of God. No, 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 no. We're born into the family of God by the Spirit of God. I'm, I'm a born-again person. I'm born from above person. I'm not adopted into a family. I'm, a, I'm born again into the family. Adoption is not the Western concept that, you know, I find someone needy and bring them in and make them in my family. That, yeah. that doesn't cover it. it it's actually about, it, it's the word huyothesia, huyos, a full, mature son, thesia, to position or place or affirm. And so uh, we're called to the adoption of sons, the placement into full mature sonship, representing the father, fully empowered by the father. And to get there, there's a process of maturing. So if you won't, proceed, won't take the maturing process, if you fight the maturing process, he says you're illegitimate, like you haven't got a dad at all, no inheritance for you, because you won't submit to the father's process that he wants you to walk through. Even Jesus went through that learned obedience by the things he suffered. Even Jesus himself submitted to a process. And you look at the life of Jesus, you can see it as a young man. You see him arrive at, uh, at, the, at um, say, the River Jordan. You hear the heavens open up and the Father gives him endorsement. I'm well pleased. So you bring me great pleasure. Well, what's he done to bring great pleasure? He hadn't done any ministry yet. So what did he do that brought great pleasure? Well, it's the life he yielded to, the life he lived even before ministry. So what was that? Well, you see God bringing him through a trying process. At, at the age of 12, he turns up in the temple and he's about his father's business. Why? Because at 12, you get put under mentors to be trained for the father's business. He, mm. see, he understands the word of God. He knows the principles of God. And so he's, and the parents don't understand him. And so now he's in conflict. The will of God is he be in the house of God, trained for his coming rabbi, being a rabbi and, his men, and being mentored and, and so on. And his parents say, no, no, you come home. <laughs> Don't you come home with us. So he submitted to them. In other words, 
he still yielded to their authority over him, even though they were wrong and, un and lacked understanding. And it says straight away, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. Now, people don't get right there at the age of 12, he's submitting to his father's training process. So instead of being in a, in a school for rabbis, immersed in the word and hanging around the temple, he's now in a small dinky town doing a, 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 an apprenticeship as a, as, a, as a carpenter, as a builder. So there's a submission in his life and a journey, having to go through all the same things we go through and establish credibility as a son to Joseph and Mary, as a, as a, as a tradesman in the father's business, naturally, uh, in, in, in running a business when his father died, all of those things. And then, then even then, when it comes to 30, he doesn't just announce his ministry. If, if we were doing it, well, okay, I'm, I'm called. Is now's my moment. So I'm going to put some brochures out, get on social media, get everything up and get on and advertise it. He did none of that. He, he walks right across, you know, 90 miles. That's a long walk across to John. Why John? Because John is carrying the anointing and the revelation of the hour. And he submits to John to launch his ministry. And John says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, I should be, yeah, listen, mate, you're the greater one, I should be submitting to you. He said, no, 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 we need to fulfill all righteousness. We need to do what's right before God. So he comes under the Father's prayer. Again, he's got to go through being water baptized. He doesn't know sin, but here he is with the crowd being water baptized, submitting to John's ministry, which will launch his own ministry. Now, then the anointing comes on him. So what do we want to do? We've got the anointing. We want to run everywhere. Next thing, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a season of further development. So how could we think if Jesus goes through those pro that process of development, why would God actually cause us to all be bypassed that? Exactly. He has, he has a process whereby we'll be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ because God wants to honor Jesus and give him preeminence. And Jesus accurately reflects the Father. So, I mean, that's that whole process in our life, why God wants you to embrace his process of maturing, not remain a baby all the time. I mean, the stunning thing about what you're saying, Mike, is uh, we have interpreted from a westernized viewpoint what adoption is. Yes. In reality, <laughs> it's nothing like that. No. We are adopted when we demonstrate that we have submitted to the Father, to his processes, and then is the moment of affirmation. Yes. But you see, you see what we've all tried, what, what, what so often is people have tried to do is make this whole thing easy. But this yes. is actually not easy. This no. is actually a process and sometimes a very painful process of yes. coming into maturity. See? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, and for example, in uh, 1 John 2, John talks about phases of maturing. Yes. And he starts off, you know, he talks about infants, you know, and he said, well, you need to know your sins are forgiven and Jesus loves you and he's standing on your side. I mean, that's baby stuff. Hmm. That, that's the baby stuff having to tell people, God forgives you. I know you're blown up, but you're forgiven. And, and uh, to give, you know, just give me a hug and whatever. <laughs> that's, that's the infant stuff where you're fixing up people's messes uh, for them, uh, changing the nappies, feeding them, all that kind of stuff. All of that is infant stuff. And the church for so long, because it's not had revelatory teaching, has remained an infant neediness. 
And, of course, going back to what the counsellor was uh, saying about the therapy, the big issue for people is if, you, if, you, if it's all about me, if it's all about my needs, my ministry, my whatever, I'm never going to be happy. The only people that are really happy are those who've learned how to serve and give their lives sacrificially. They're the most happy people around them. Mm, mm, mm. So, so then it talks about young men. Young men, well, young men, you know, it's not an age thing. It's a maturity thing. You are strong. You don't get pushed over easily. You get a bit of adversity and pushback and some people offend you. Don't, don't, don't do anything. You know, you're strong. And the reason you're strong, the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Mm. Well, of course, you know, we go to churches and we spend hours, you know, all these hundreds of people are demons. And they've never, they're not even strong people. They've, they've never learned to overcome the devil in their own life. And, but there's no teaching. There's no revelation. There's no apostolic revelation of God's desire for maturity, the pathway forward, and here's what it looks like when you get into our church. It's more about how many people are on seats and how much money's coming in and how big's the building, all that kind of stuff, instead of actually are we building sons and daughters for our father? We're called fivefold ministry, Ephesians 4.11. Everyone knows the first bit, but it's so that we might bring people to maturity mm. so they're not blown around all over the place by every little new doctrine that comes along. Yeah. Then he goes to the next level, fathers. You know, fathers, you have known him. In other words, there's a deep level of intimacy and transformation. You are now fathering. That's what you do. You're actually reflecting the father in the earth. You're caring for people. You're discipling people. You're investing in people. You're pouring your life out for people. You're resourcing people. You've actually taken on the whole heart of Jesus, the spirit of the father. And the church is so lacking in people like that. They have teachers and mentors. But, but what's needed are fathers because a father operates differently to a mentor. A mentor wants you to have information and knowledge and instruction. A father wants your identity to be established. So you come into inheritance. Hmm. If you think of the problems people have, a lot of them because there's no identity established. Hmm. They've been in church for years and still don't know who they are, nor are they embracing that as their lifestyle. I'm here to love my father, be intimate with him, to honour him in the way I represent him, and to fulfil what he gave me to do. It's not not rocket science. Yeah. What is? Brent, I can see you. I can almost see your head ticking over now. Come on, but, say something. I mean, I mean, the, the you know, you you got to understand. My natural sarcasm wants to just kick into gear here, um, <laughs> because I, you know I so agree with you. But you see, we, we, we've, we've got to look at what we are feeding into our lives and, and what we're drawing from is the messages we're listening to, is yeah. the teaching that we are receiving, is it actually helping us deal with the depths of who we are, bring strong identity to who we are, but in order to be able to be, a, be pleasing to the Father. Yes. Now, you know, if, if you actually evaluate all the messages that we've ever heard, is that the prevailing emphasis? Well, it isn't. And that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. And you see, I, I mean, I, and, and I will hit my sarcasm a bit. I have such a problem with, um, and I'm, I'm not being critical, but, it, but it's just a, a truthful observation of pastors who basically expect everybody to serve them. 
And you see, when, when in reality, fathers serve their children. Exactly. They, they, and you see, see, what, see, one of the things that, that, that I've wanted to do, and, I, and I'm believing I'll get to this point, is that I'll, I'll have so much wealth that when I go into a church, I say, you are not going to give me a love offering to pay my expenses or whatever, but I'm actually going to give you an offering because that's what dads do to their kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, the dads become a resource of blessing, yes. prosperity, inheritance. That's what father looks like. Exactly. And, and, and you see, see um, you know, give you a classic example. You know, you, 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 you arrive at somewhere to preach and they say, oh, um, let me carry your Bible. And I, and I said to them, I'm quite capable of carrying my own Bible, thank you very much. <laughs> and so the conflict starts. <laughs> and the conflict starts because my concept is I'm here to yeah. serve you, yes. not for you to serve me, because only as I as a father come to serve you, to equip you and to empower you to become something greater than what you are, I've failed in my mission. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's why, why Paul said, he said, you've got many teachers but very few fathers. Absolutely. And, you know, as I get older, Mike, of course, I get more and more burdened over this issue because I'm thinking yeah. at all the failures of being a really good father to the body of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, it's, I think the revelation is fresh in this season. I think it is. And I think that the revelation of the kingdom, the revelation of fatherhood, you know, he says uh, in, um, it says in uh, Malachi 4, you know, very end in the last days, He'll send again the spirit of Elijah before that great and coming down the Lord to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers. So I think we're living in a time where forerunners will begin to preach to call people back to fathers. And I think it's, it's got a different layers of application. I think the first layer is just naturally to bring a turning in families again so families are healed because, because the core battle unit in the uh, and the core building unit uh, in the uh, Bible was the family. So when they called the tribes together, they called them by their families. When they built the, uh, uh, restored the walls of Jerusalem, they did it by the families. And I think we've, we've not understood the high value God places on family and the need to build strong family. So you build multi-generational. We just want to have a quick encounter and not realize actually you've got to build and the, the building block of society is family. So that's one layer. But I think the second layer of it is in ministry of a fathering spirit or apostolic spirit coming back into the church again so that uh, there's a restoration of fatherhood and sonship in the church, the teaching of it, the modeling of it, and the life of it. Mm. And then I, the third layer is prophetic it's the turning again of our hearts back to look and see what the original fathers in the faith uh, had and encountered and what they believed in in terms of the uh, end times, resurrection, and the great eternal hope. So there's, there's layers of that message. So I think that the, the problem is the lack of revelation of it, and we should make this a key focus. So I, I was thinking recently, I was thinking, well, if we're born into a family and the church is our family to raise us up to be sons and daughters to the Lord, where do we learn about family then? When do you learn about what it means to be a son and, and uh, what that's like? And how does that work out in the church? Yeah. Because often, as you say, it becomes a very top-down thing. And there's sometimes a religious culture where it's all about the, the movement of honour and blessing is all one way. It's upward. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's that's wrong. So I, was at a, I, I had a meeting. We went to dinner with a whole group of uh, from our church of uh, Samoan people being touched in the freedom retreat, coming to a greater measure of freedom. We were having a big meal there, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I want you to pay for the whole meal hmm. for every, everyone there. Wow. And so I just, uh, and I know I've learned that you've got to learn to hear the voice of the Lord in giving, and I knew it was God. I knew that within the culture, they've got a struggle because uh, the pastor, the ministers are just taking and demanding so much of the people that it distorts their view of God and, and uh, it needs to be restored again. So I just slipped down and paid the whole lot and then came back up when I had a chance to speak a minister. I said, you know, I, I paid for, John, I paid for all of your meal. I said, I want you to know this is a blessing from your heavenly father. He wants you to know he's generous. He's a giver. He's a blesser. And he wants you to know he values each of you. And that, you know, like the stunned silence. Oh, I can imagine it. I can feel it now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love to do that. Yeah. And you, Jesus modeled it, you know, when he shocked the disciples where he goes in and kneels in front of them and takes the lowest roll and washes feet. But it's actually he's, he's showing them the nature of the kingdom is humility and serving. Now, if you, if you couple that scripture uh, with this one, he said, you call me Lord, you're right, worthy of honor, worthy of respect. But if I, your Lord, have washed your feet, I've left you an example on how the kingdom really operates. Mm. Now, couple, couple that with this scripture, I do only the things I see my father doing. Ugh. That means the father moved on him. He's the model of the father to show this is what our heavenly father does. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing, Brent. I mean, I've wept as I've meditated through that of how humble and how honouring and loving our Father is that he would come and then literally wash our feet. Now, of course, the problem is the church has turned the foot washing into a very awkward religious <laughs> Oh, no, I've missed the whole point. Yeah, I've missed the point of what it really is. It's about the humbling to serve and meet, meet you in the, the most broken uh, and damaged and filthy parts of your life and bring healing and life to that. Wow. Well, we've got a message right there, haven't we, eh? <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know whether it's the New American Standard or King James Version, but that passage that says, until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right there. Attain. In other words... You haven't attained it. No. And you've got to do some work to attain to, um, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I hardly even know what that means, Mike, but I know something. I've got to be on a pretty serious journey of life <laughs> development if I'm going to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so we're not here just options well, i can't choose about how i'm going to live my life in the sense that that that, that I'm, a, I'm a son or a daughter of god the father and i need to do what he tells me to do and submit to his discipline and his processes and that he would change me so i would attain to what he wants me to be which is a measure of the stature of the fullness of christ absolutely it's about about who you call to become that's god's eternal purpose exactly Wow. But you notice what precedes that. That's what the five-fold ministry are called to do. Yes. 
it's not just about teaching you how to do this and do that and, and feeding you. It's actually about helping you grow up, yeah. maturing you in your personal life because the image or the, the, the person our life is to be focused on, Jesus Christ, is character, uh, basically two qualities of his character, humility and meekness. Yeah. That's amazing. Mike, we are going to have to draw this to a close. Oh, my goodness. Our hour has gone already. Bring it. Yeah, so well, quick. Just, just about an hour. Um, and, of course, I haven't yet got on to the, the real passage I wanted to get us to. <laughs> but that, that, is, that is for next week. I, I, to those who are listening tonight, I want to say something to you. I, I, I think that you should skim read the entire New Testament which you, which you can, you skim read it, but with the, with the objective of seeing <coughs> when Jesus or the, or, or the epistles speak about our responsibility to mature, to grow up, to have the, the character of Christ and all of that sort of stuff, and just read it from that perspective. Don't read it from the perspective of how God can bless you. Read it from the perspective of what God is actually trying to speak to you about about becoming and so you know good. when you read the bible from that perspective it is a very very different book from a book that you're reading to receive blessing and Brent, you know, that's so amazing can i can i read you a little passage just that ties in with that yeah and uh this one here is in and found in 2 peter chapter 1 and uh it talks uh, he's, he's talking to believers and he said Give all diligence and add to your faith. In other words, he doesn't want you to remain immature. I just received Jesus and add said, he said, give diligence and make it a real effort to add to your faith uh, virtue and to virtue knowledge, the knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness uh, love. And, and notice he's talking about character. He's talking about becoming Christ-like and he then makes he makes it very clear how important this is. I'll show you the importance of it. He says, if these things are yours and they abound, they will make sure you're not barren. They'll ensure you're not unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, your life won't be barren and unfruitful. You'll actually have an influence because you become Christ-like. You're developing his character. It'll have an influence on others. And then he says, and he says but if you lack these things, he says you're short-sighted, you've got pebble lenses. And you've forgotten you've been cleansed from your sins for a purpose. And he says, so be diligent to make this call sure. He said, for such an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm not going to be negligent. I'm going to keep reminding you of this stuff. Now, notice the key thing there is an abundant entrance into the coming kingdom, implying you could have an abundant entrance or a barely got in the entrance or a didn't even enter in at all. So that's a whole area for discussion. But that's when we talk about the coming kingdom and sonship and these things, it's all about God's eternal purpose, not about me and my ministry. You know, Mike, I think we will finish it right there. Okay. And I think next week we'll pick up on that, that scripture in First Peter and, right. and get you to actually talk it through. Because right. it is so, so mission critical and so powerful. What I want to suggest, as I've already said, you need to read the Bible. People who are listening, read the Bible. But actually go to that scripture, yep. First Peter, and actually have a look at it. I mean, even just the thought, abundant entrance. Yes. 
I mean, when you compare that to 1 Corinthians 3, where you're saved, so is by fire, but no reward. That's right. <laughs> okay, just, uh, okay. I'm going to have to go. I've got another meeting to take right now. i got I family got me doing weekly meetings with uh, teaching on the stuff. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much again. God bless you. And uh, look, I, um, let's just, just agree with me in prayer very quickly. Yep. Father, right now, I just pray that what we've said tonight would just be a huge blessing to people. It would just unlock light upon the Word of God so revelation would continue to flow and insight as we as we wait for next week that there'll be further understanding and teaching. I commit our way to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God amen. bless you, Mike. Thank you for being with us. Really appreciate it. I know my people do and others that are listening from around the world. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too, Brent. Thank you for the honour of being on it. Okay, bye-bye.